Good morning, and welcome to Connection Church. And as Billy said, I am Wade McLeod, and it's been a blessing to be here. Uh, I didn't realize until Billy mentioned it that we uh, have been here for seven years or so. Um, and it's been amazing. What we're going to talk about this morning has to do with faith. And I really didn't have the faith to see that this was going to turn out like it's turning out. I'm just blown away by what God's doing and these baptisms that we're seeing um, almost every Sunday. So it's been pretty amazing what God's doing here. And I, when we started out that small group, I couldn't see this seven years from now. But it's just amazing. So God be the glory to all that. Um, let me tell you a little bit about myself. My wife and I are from Rome, Georgia. We moved down here in 1980 after we got married. Uh, start working at Plant Hatch. And uh, in 2017, I retired and became a public school teacher. I'll talk a little bit more about that later, too. Uh, we have six children, all are boys except for one, and that's Anna. Y'all might know Anna. She serves as a blue connector. Some of you know her. She teaches at the middle school. The boys uh, live out of town along with our seven grandchildren. And, um, well, one lives pretty close. He's in Soberton, so he was able to make the trip over here, I think, this morning. So I told you we're going to talk a lot about faith this morning. We're going to look at Revelations chapter 2 in the church at Smyrna. But before I do that, I want to tell you a little bit about how I became a Jesus follower. Um, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but I had loving parents, took, you know, did the best they could with raising me. Uh, and we all have major life changes that we go through. And when I was, of course, some of that's just going from boy to man, but when I was 15, my my parents moved us up to Western Massachusetts. Is there anybody in here from Western Massachusetts? Okay. Well, if you know people from Western Massachusetts, uh, I hope you're not offended because I love them. My sister still lives there now. But when we moved from Rome up to Massachusetts, it was a major change for me. I was definitely an outsider. The people called me Tex, uh, even though it's from Georgia, and they thought, oh, we all live like the Beverly Hillbillies down here, or Gomer Powell, or something like that. So uh, it, was, it was different. And uh, being an outsider, I ended up kind of gravitating to the wrong group of, of people pretty quick and ended up getting into a lot of trouble. Um, before I left Rome, my high school football coach offered that I live with him and his wife. Uh, my parents didn't agree to that, so we did go to, up to Massachusetts. But during the spring, after I was getting in so much trouble, uh, they uh, changed their minds. And Coach Jackson, Leroy Jackson was his name, his offer was still on the table. And uh, he and his wife offered for me to come and stay with them. And Coach Jackson and his wife were Jesus followers. And it wasn't until I became a Jesus follower later on that I understand why they would do something like that. Well, eventually, I graduated from high school and, and graduated from college, met Luann, and we got married, and I got a job at Plant Hatch, moved down here and found myself in Vidalia, beautiful town of Vidalia, and um, I really thought everything was perfect. You know, I, I married the most beautiful girl I knew, sweet, and uh, I had a good job, and I had a, a nice home, a decent home, and so I thought if I had all these things, I would be satisfied and content. But what you hear from the stage a lot uh, and what you probably heard from some other pastors is you really can't be satisfied in this life except one way. You'll be, keep searching for things to fulfill your life. 
And that was what I was doing. I couldn't find peace and happiness in just what I thought was going to be my life. And, uh, and it was really a lot of providential circumstances, people sharing the gospel with me. I really didn't understand it at all at first. But over a period of time, I saw God working in people's lives. I saw uh, humility in some Christians I never saw before. And I saw people loving folks and loving me like I didn't recognize before, didn't see before. So eventually, I became a follower of Jesus myself. And I was 27 years old when this happened. It was just before my firstborn son came along. And um, it's been perfect ever since. Uh, yeah, I had to wait a little bit for that. I, I think most of you know that things don't go perfect all the time. Uh, but God's perfect. Even though things don't go the way we want it to, and we don't do what we're supposed to do all the time, we got a God that never fails, a God that's faithful. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, have you ever met somebody with big, unshakable faith? When things are going bad, things are going wrong, they say, God's got this, he's in control, they still show peace and all that. You ever met somebody like that? Well, there are some undeniable things that happen in people's lives when they go, when they demonstrate this, this faith. And that's what I want to talk about. And I hope you want to have a bold, unshakable faith. Um, and we're going to look at some verses in Revelations chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. So if you got your Bible or Bible app, go ahead and turn there. And there are three things I want to talk about from that passage. While you're turning, let me just mention this too. Any of you guys ever go swimming into Itchy Tuckney Springs in Florida? I see some hands up. Good. How would you describe the water there? Yeah. People told me that water's cold, and uh, I understood what they were talking about. I mean, water's cold. Okay, got it. Uh, so I went, to, went there, and we uh, jumped into the water. I didn't know it was going to take your breath away. I mean, it was cold, and I don't think I ever got my breath back until later on. Uh, I told the first uh, group this morning, the, the 9 o'clock group in here, I said, uh, when Billy asked me to do this, by the way, this is the first time I've done, done something like this. Actually, second time because I counted this morning. It was like jumping in, that, in those springs. It took my breath away at first, and I hope I get it back. But anyway, uh, it's been good so far. There's three things I want to talk about, three takeaways. One, I want you to remember the resurrection. Two, you're not alone. And number three is put your yes on the table. So those are just three points we're going to look at. The resurrection, remember that. You're not alone. And put your yes on the table. A little background real quick. John, the disciple of Jesus, one of the original 12, he wrote this. He was exiled on an on island called Patmos. Um, he, he wrote it, but it was a message directly from Jesus. It's probably in red text if you got the paper version Bible. Maybe even on the Bible app it's red text where you are. But this is a message directly from Jesus to the church at Smyrna. Uh, Smyrna was a very, very prosperous areas, part of the Roman Empire during this time. They were known for Roman emperor worship. And they really did this for political reasons. If you're in with Rome, you had a lot of good things going for you. Finances, political favor, and uh, protection. So those were all, all good things to be in line with Rome. And so they would kind of follow along with whatever Rome wanted because of that. The church on the other hand, didn't necessarily agree with the idea of Roman worship, and they were called out on it. 
So that, the people there had a difficult time. The church in Smyrna had a difficult time because of that. Let's read these verses together. This is Revelations chapter 2. Revelations chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you as your life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Angel in this passage, by the way, is just referring to a human messenger. It's not a spiritual being. It's probably the pastor of the church delivering this message from John to the church. And again, the message is really from Jesus. The important thing I want you to pick up from this passage is the fact that Jesus identifies himself as the one who died and came alive. Of course, we call that the resurrection. The reason why I want to make an issue here is because Jesus described him that way. He could have said, this is Jesus, you know, listen to me. But he said, I'm the one that died and came back to life. That's a, that's a huge deal. And this is the reason why the church exists today, why you are even here today. Without the resurrection, we wouldn't be meeting. So it's crucial. It's very important. And I, I really want to talk about one character in the Bible that we all love. Uh, I hope you love him. Peter. And talk about what his life was like before the resurrection, before Jesus died and was alive, and then after. Of course, he was a follower of Jesus for three years. He saw him do miracles, heard his teaching. Of course, he, he blundered a little bit, but we all blunder, right? Uh, before the, before the, Jesus was uh, arrested and taken to the cross, he met with his disciples. And he was telling them what was going to happen. And Peter was in that group. And he said, listen, I'm going to be arrested. And when I get arrested, you guys are going to scatter. You're leaving. And uh, Peter, he says, oh, no, 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 not me. I won't do it. He even said, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus said, well, I'm, I'm glad you think that, but I'm telling you, you're going to even deny me, not once, not twice, but three times you're going to deny me. And Peter wouldn't listen to him. In fact, he was a little offended by all this. And it happened, just like Jesus predicted. He was arrested. His disciples scattered, including Peter. And then a servant girl saw Peter and said, she might have been a middle schooler, who knows. He said, she said, Peter, you're, that man right there, he was one of the ones that followed Jesus. Peter said, no, no, not me. And she said, yeah, I think you were one of the ones. No, no, no. He even cursed and said, no, I wasn't one of the ones who followed Jesus. All right, that was Peter's failure of faith before the resurrection. When Jesus died on the cross, everybody, all the followers, faith went to zilch. It was nothing. None of them saw the resurrection coming. Even though they were told about it coming, none of them were prepared for it. They didn't expect, nobody was waiting outside the tomb 
for the stone to be rolled away and for Jesus to rise again. Nobody was. But when it happened, Peter was changed, and Jesus made a special effort to Peter and give him some things to do. In fact, he even put him in charge of the, of the church enterprise here. Even after his failure, he did that. Now, 50 days after the resurrection, Peter has a little change here. Luke in Acts records this. This is in chapter 3 and 4, the story's told. But 50 days afterward, John and Peter are going to the temple to pray, it says. And why they went there, I don't know. Um, they always got in trouble when they went there. And when they go, they see a lame beggar. Been lame his whole life. The Bible says about 40 years. And uh, about 40 years old. And he's asking for money. And, and Peter says, enough of that. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And he's, he's healed. He walks. And he follows John and Peter into the temple. And he's making a commotion. And everybody else is making a commotion because they're seeing this guy walk. They never, you know, he's been there 20 years probably. They've been walking past him all their life. And they knew him by name. And, and Peter goes to tell him that this was nothing. You know, I didn't do anything special. Jesus did this. I did this through the power of Jesus, what he ex explains. Well, that gets him in trouble. He gets put in, in jail. And the next day, Peter and John are called before the big dogs of the day. These are the most powerful people in Jerusalem. And in chapter 4, starting in verse 6, I'm just going to read this to you. And just think about Peter denying Jesus to the servant girl, but yet he's standing before the high priest of the most powerful people. And these people had the power to put him to death. They stoned the early Christians, so they had a lot of power to do some damage. Ananias, high priest, was there, and so Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of high priestly descent, the priest family, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Now, when they asked that question, Peter had a get-out-of-jail-free card. He could have said, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. He just he got him and walked. That didn't have nothing to do with it. That would have been it, probably. Well, listen to what he says. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's key, too. You don't get the Holy Spirit without the resurrection. They go together. But Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called on account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, now listen to this, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Uh, there's a lot of Jesuses that lived during that time. That was a common name. But it wasn't just any Jesus. And actually, it was Joshua or Joshua. But during that time, there was a lot of guys' names. He wanted to make sure that they had it clear who it was. Listen, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, by whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed, Jesus is the stone and the build that you rejected, the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were just unschooled, ordinary men, men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So big, bold faith depends on understanding the the death and resurrection of Jesus, the death and alive body of Jesus. 
and we live in that realm right now. Again, you wouldn't be here today without the resurrection. The reason why we have these manuscripts, the Bible, is because of the resurrection. Men risked their lives because of what they saw. Paul planted all these churches and risked his life because of the resurrection. And none of that, none of that really makes any sense that unless there was a resurrection. So our faith all starts with the resurrection. The second takeaway I want you to get today is remember that you're not alone. So verses 9 and 10, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are, are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Uh, this is where some of us might want to jump ship. Uh, life is really tough, and these people in Smyrna were going through some really tough times, and you've the word tribulation is something you probably don't hear in church circles. We don't use it uh, much in our daily talk. But what it means is a Greek word that actually means, it comes from a Greek word, it means pressure. And it's the kind of pressure uh, like having a huge boulder sitting on your chest to the point where you can't breathe, you can't get your breath. It can be affliction, anguish, distress, persecution. These are all kinds of pressure that's similar to tribulation. And the thing this verse tells us is Jesus knows. He knows our tribulation. He knows what you're going through. There's nothing, absolutely nothing, that escapes his notice. So the question that comes up a lot is if, if Jesus knows, then why don't, why doesn't he do anything about it? This is a question a lot of people ask. Well, one thing is crystal clear. The God we serve, the God we worship, is not a God that promises life without tribulation, life without suffering. If you think about it, the, the best possible person suffered the worst possible death, and that was his son, and he allowed that. And people like John the Baptist, Jesus described him as being a man, or no man was greater in the kingdom on this earth. No man on this earth was. And he suffered on this earth. So, I think following Jesus definitely does not give an escape route from suffering. We all are going to probably experience that in our life. But nobody's going to look for it, and I'm not asking you to do that. I just want you to be ready for it. Jesus wants you to be ready for it when you experience suffering. Now, some of you have already experienced some significant pain in your life. It could have been you know, a health issue, death of a loved one. Uh, maybe some significant financial loss, but some of you have gone through some suffering that's pretty significant, and you've heard a baptismal story this morning. Uh, there are some significant stories, and we can learn a lot from these. And some of you may know uh, my daughter, Anna, was born with an undiagnosed congenital heart defect. And all that means is we thought she was healthy, but seven days later, she went into congestive heart failure. The blood was not normally leaving her heart. It was backing up in her lungs. And we didn't know what was going on. Um, my wife finds her in the baby bed, just dusky, pale blue. 
and rushes, we rush her to the emergency room and they're trying to revive her. And the doctor's speaking words preparing us for her death. Uh, they couldn't get a pulse. There's people that show up from our church. In fact, George Holcomb, I mentioned him this morning, was uh, there. Uh, and they were praying and they got a pulse. And uh, I think it's obvious they got a pulse because Anna serves now in our uh, connection, our Greek people, I forgot what it's called. The, the blue team, the blue team. Uh, she serves there. And, and so, you know, I don't know why these things happen. I don't know why these things happen. But I saw people come to us and pray for us and love us. There were meals. There were babysitting that was done by people. People put aside their busy schedules. And it was Good Friday when this happened. This was like in the middle of the night. People were coming in the middle of the night to, to help us. Uh, I saw God working like I never would before if this didn't happen. I saw him working. Now, about three years later, uh, we have another daughter, Rebecca, and she was born premature. And we were praying for her life. But God didn't answer that prayer. And she died. So we buried Rebecca on February the 19th. And um, sometimes God doesn't answer the prayer like you want it to or like I want it to. But even in that situation, I saw people loving. I saw God loving us. I saw him being faithful. And I know that he's in control. And I know because of the resurrection, that I will see Rebecca one day in heaven. Now, I haven't asked you to write down anything yet, but there's one thing I would like for you to write down. You don't know what you actually believe until what you claim to believe is tested. You don't know what you actually believe until what you claim to believe is tested. So just like Peter claiming that he would lay down his life for his Savior. Until he was tested, he didn't really know if he would do that or not. And he failed. The good news is, Jesus restored him, gave him other opportunities. So even if you do fail the faith test, it's not over. It's never over. Jesus will give you another opportunity. You'll have opportunity after opportunity. And you'll grow stronger with that. The third thing, and the last, is I want you to put your yes on the table. In fact, I'm talking to myself through all this too. We need to put our yes on the table. When I read these passages that we just looked at, it's obvious to me that the people in Smyrna had put their yes on the table. So what that means is you're trusting God for your future, whatever he calls you to do. If you want big, unshakable faith that will su survive both blessings and tribulations, we've got to be willing to say yes and put it on the table. So when Jesus asks us to be faithful unto death, it sounds pretty difficult. But when you realize that he's in charge of life after death, it's not as difficult. And that's what Peter was seeing, and that's what we all should be seeing. When he's asked to be faithful to, unto death, he's not asking us to follow a bunch of rules. He's actually calling us to follow his new commandment. He had a new commandment. He gave his disciples. 
And John records this as well in his gospel, and I'm going to read it to you. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give you, you're to love one another just as I, just as I have loved you. You must love one another. And this kind of love is a sacrificial love like Jesus did. You, you lay down your life. Be willing to lay down your life for a friend. Now, that sounds like a very high price to pay, but a lot of times we're just talking about laying down our selfish attitudes that we have when we love one another. It means seeing God or God sees, you're seeing people like God sees people. So God saved us and he wants to have a deep, intimate relationship with us when he saved us. And sometimes we miss this when we talk about obedience and missions. We think obedience and missions are impersonal or, or, or mechanical in nature. But really, this is talking about a love relationship that God wants us to have. Life to the fullest is what God wants for us. And when we fall in love with him, we desire to be obedient. Now, the question I've got is, um, is your yes already on the table? Let me just tell you one last story here. Towards the end of my career at Planet Hatch, um, I had this feeling, this desire really, to be a teacher and, and possibly be in the public school system. <clears throat> and that was not my job at Planet Hatch. Uh, I taught adults, but this would be teaching kids. I felt God nudged me in that direction, so I talked to my wife about it. And um, I couldn't find, we, we were praying and, and thinking about it, I couldn't find any Bible verses that said I should be a public school teacher. But I did find a lot of Bible verses that said I should be caring about people and loving people. And what greater mission field is there apart from the school systems? We've got a lot of needs there. I'm telling you, it wasn't more than seven days after Lewin and I uh, had this conversation. I got a phone from Dr. Wilcox. He has never called me before, but he was telling me about a possible job opportunity. Uh, and he was telling me what I needed to do in order to become a teacher, the steps I needed to take. Is that weird or what? Uh, a coincidence, maybe. Um, I saw God working, and so I, I got on board with it. It took a few years. I had to go back to school and do some work. Um, and I'm telling you, I already mentioned uh, I was a troublemaker in high school. I was not a good student in high school. I was not a good student at college. But after I turned my life over to God and I became a Jesus follower, I became a good student. I did pray for a new brain, uh, but God didn't grant that. Uh, but he gave me something better. He gave me his spirit. Uh, he gave me a desire. He gave me a new heart. So all those things were better than the brain anyway. The point is, when you know you're created to do something for God, um, you have purpose. You have meaning in life. And even though you might feel inadequate, and believe me, I felt inadequate, and sometimes I still feel inadequate, you know, though, God, since he's called you to do something, will fill the gap. He'll step in. So, um, one thing that I want to mention to you before we close is when I said you're not alone, as a follower of Jesus, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have God's Spirit living in you. 
And this is something you have to rely on daily to live the life God wants you to live. And I have to do that. I desperately need to do that. So I just want you to know, I'm as messed up as anybody. I have to call out on God's spirit all the time in order to love like he loves, to see people like he sees. So in closing, I just want to say this. Faith is like a muscle. So to have big, unshakable faith, remember the death and life that Jesus lives, the resurrection. Uh, remember that you're not alone. You've got the Holy Spirit with you, and he gives you the power to do what God's called you to do. And be willing to put your yes on the table. If, you, if, if your Christian experience is nothing more than coming to a meeting like this, a service like this, and hearing somebody talk, and that's it, your faith will be very weak. Faith is like a muscle. It's something that's got to be worked. There's this place down the road called Crazy Strong CrossFit. Suppose you went there and got a cup of coffee, got a book about weightlifting, and read it, drank coffee, but watched people lift weights. How strong would you get? Not strong at all. You've got to lay the coffee down, put the book down, start doing the things that are in the book, and start lifting the weights if you want to see results. Will it be easy? No, it won't be easy. Never is easy. Uh, will it be quick? No, it takes time. It takes some time to do that. But will it be worth it? Well, if only you're talking about weightlifting, maybe if you like that. But we're talking about your faith. So in order for you to grow in your faith, I want to challenge you to take a next step. And God may be speaking to your heart about doing something, even before you came in this room. There's something that God may have laid on your heart. It could be something simple, like maybe a friend needs to be made. A neighbor needs to be reached. I don't know what God's telling you, but I know we all have next steps. So would you bow your heads and pray with me. God, we want to have big, unshakable faith. And we know that life experiences can be really tough. We thank you for reminding us that you're in charge of life. You're in charge of death. And you got the keys. Lord, uh, we thank you that you've never left us alone. You've given us your spirit. And Lord, we do want to have the courage to put our yes on the table. Lastly, if you keep your heads bowed, eyes closed, if you've never decided to become a Jesus follower and God's spoken to your heart this morning and you want to do that, you want to make that public this morning, I want to ask you to raise your hand. Father, thank you for those that made decisions this morning. Thank you for the perfect work that you do. Lord, uh, and we thank you for giving us life through your son. Father, we ask that you uh, give us strength and courage to do what you call us to do. And we confess that apart from you, we can do nothing. Lord, again, we uh, ask you to help us love like you do. 
And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Would y'all stand and join us in singing, please?